0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time launches it to the end zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams. Bro
0: goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh he puts. Oh, he's the one! Red Raider, up the ten. Puts up the right sideline.
1: He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS champion.
0: Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football Emergency Podcast Edition number two. Uh, Did not expect to do, really, you don't really anticipate doing any of these during the season, but much less two within a couple weeks of each other. So, uh, of course, TCU and Gary Patterson have decided to part ways after, geez, what, 20 years, 21 years at the helm of TCU, or at least a part of TCU. I know uh, he was defensive coordinator under Dennis Franchione since 98, uh, from 98 to 2000 head coach since 2000 and uh, now after their loss a pretty bad loss to Kansas State TCU and Gary Patterson decide to part ways before we get into kind of how that came about actually no let, let's get into how that came about kind of because that that'll, that'll just be a good segue and we can talk about what he's meant to TCU and what he kind of meant to to uh, college football in general after that but you know we men- we mentioned in the recap show and we kind of talked about I do think it was a little interesting how we did kind of hint at um what the trajectory is now under Gary Patterson at TCU and I think it was very I think everybody kind of saw the writing on the wall eventually but it was it ultimately the 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 responsibility or I guess the uh, the decision wasn't just going to be TCU's athletic director people knew that Gary Patterson had earned the right to kind of make his own call. And, uh, yeah. And eventually, you know, it came to a mutual parting of the ways. Um, I should mention, of course, Mike Craven is on the line. Um, i i just talking to myself here, Mike, you know, where were you when this news news kind of dropped and what was kind of your reaction to it?
1: Yeah, I was driving back from Houston. Uh, after that, watching the SMU Houston game, we had recorded that podcast, the recap in the morning I wrote up, uh, the four one, one and headed back. And, you know, I, I thought maybe this would be something that happened after the season. It, mm. It's hard to imagine Gary Patterson still around as the head coach in 2022. It just, the trajectory of the program going the wrong direction, just kind of his attitude and his sensitivity towards some, you know, reports or some stories that had been out there. You could tell that tension was, was building within the locker room, within the room. Obviously, they played about as uninspired as, as TCU's played in a long time in that loss to Kansas State on Saturday. So it felt like something was up, Mm -hmm. but with a guy who's been around for for parts of four decades at TCU, if you think about it, you know, as a defensive coordinator and head coach, he's touched four different decades of TCU football, and he has a statue outside of the stadium. You felt like maybe – in the off season would be when this happens, but if you look at the college football landscape, this is happening more and more. LSU's already announced that you know they're they're moving on from Coach O. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Texas Tech last week with Matt Wells, TCU now, so it seems like colleges are trying to do this earlier and earlier. And TCU's just trying to get on the front foot and be ahead of the curve and and not have their targets already you know either restructure their contracts to make them more expensive or already sign with the new school, they want to be a part of that discussion. And so I do think it was the right move, Mm -hmm. but I was surprised that it happened in the middle of the season.
0: Yeah. From all indications, I know um, I was trying to find the, uh, the statement from all indications, the, the, the hope was that now I'm looking at it right now. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Donati um, uh, did release a statement and he did say that they wanted him to stay on till the end of the year. Right. Uh, Let me see. I'm trying to find it right now. Uh, we asked him to continue on as our head coach for the remainder of the season and take on a different role in 2022, but he believed it was the team and TCU's best interest to begin the transition immediately. That, to me, is pretty pretty on brand for Gary Patterson. I'd say he, oh, yeah. he's not the type of guy that would want these last couple weeks to be about him, to be about somebody who wants who who who's getting his flowers and somebody who deserves that, right? He de- he would deserve absolutely the the recognition he would get, especially for that last home game and. Things like that, but he wouldn't want that hanging over the players. He wouldn't want the program to be in this limbo. He, it would be weird for him to like not. He he would. He's probably going to stay on in some capacity, but like it would be weird for him to like half recruit. You know, like where he's like he he couldn't just not keep up with some of the guys he's probably been talking to. But he knows that he's not going to be there, and he knows the next staff coming in probably isn't going to you know offer those same guys. So. It was, he would have been a lame duck coach in the lame duck situation either way, even if he did decide to stay on. And so I think that it was him just saying like, no, you know what, let's just get this started. We'll, we'll see where this goes. And we have a capable uh, caretaker and Jerry kill who will be the interim head coach. We have a capable, respectable guy in there to where the team's just not going to fold, right? The team's going to be, you know, people like Jerry kill by all indications. He's a great guy going back to his time at, at, Minnesota, um, And so he says, like, you know what? We have a capable person taking care of this team. He'll see out the season. And, you know, I'm not somebody that should be taking the attention away from what the team should be trying to get done the rest of the way.
1: And it's on brand because he would have faced criticism and tough questions and scrutiny, and he doesn't want to deal with any of that. He never has he never will. And so he's able to kind of ride off into the sunset on his terms. Um but, yeah, I mean, if a player did that we'd we'd be having different conversations on like what it means for their character and stuff, sure. he just kind of gets to to deny it deny a program he's been at for twenty one years. It did feel uh, a little weird, right? like you'd mm-hmm. think you know a guy who's been there for that long kind of goes along with the wishes of the admin uh but clearly if he wa if he wasn't gonna be around for twenty twenty two he wasn't gonna do any extra work in twenty twenty one
0: exactly, and looking back. It's kind of it's it's kind of obvious how things kind of came to be, um, but we'll get into that in a bit. I do want to talk about a little bit of what he's meant to this program. Um, like he, like I mentioned, two, got the head job in two thousand when Dennis Franchione left for Alabama. He was Dennis Franchoni's right hand guy. Uh, uh, ushered in more or less one of the most modern pass rushing concepts and schemes in college football, which is the four two five, notorious. For no matter what part of that field, for at least, I'd say about 15 years, no matter what part of the field TCU had holes at, you knew they'd have two defensive ends and two, no, two defensive tackles that would absolutely destroy the quarterback. And his ability to modernize the secondary to maximize kind of that pass rush and drop five deep before people were doing that, right? People were still very much a four-three or three-four, um, with with two corners, one safety or two safety looks. And Gary Patterson was somebody who was like, "No, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a nickel, right? We're gonna have somebody kind of roaming in there. We're gonna we're gonna put drop five back, two linebackers, right? That was something that was unheard of at the time. And we're gonna control the line of scrimmage with more or less a front six instead of a front seven. And for the longest time." You know, it was kind of until that, I mean, he had uh, uh, until that Andy Dalton year, probably that was what they hinged their entire team around was that defense and that front six. And I don't know, it it could get lost because obviously (laughs) where TCU's defense is now, and that's kind of the reason why he's on the way out. But it, it could get lost in how revolutionary he was to just defensive coaching and defensive scheming over this last era.
1: Yeah, he's he's an absolute pioneer, mm-hmm. and he deserves credit for taking a linebacker off the field and recognizing that against modern offenses, speed's more empower more important than power. Mm-hmm. And to kind of you know, you look around the landscape of football now, everybody's base defense is essentially the four two five. You know, like you got different uh, defensive coordinators that will run an odd man front or a four man front, but. You know, everybody's in nickel 60, 65 percent of the time at the college level, at the pro level, and now even at the high school level. So it really is. He really was a pioneer. He absolutely deserves a statue outside of that stadium. He's a legend inside this state. He's a legend at TCU. He's changed a lot of how football um, is is played here in, in this state of in this state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, I think it just shows, you know, time is undefeated, you know, yeah. like no matter, you know, how good you are at your job uh, how much you can create and adapt because that's what he was known for in my opinion I think the thing that Gary Patterson did best as a defensive coach was adapt Mm -hmm. and over time it just gets harder and harder to do that after you've been there for 20 something years you know it's just it's harder and harder to do that it's harder and harder to stay on you know the brand and the messaging and to get guys uh, up to play in those kind of games and to keep the fan base Excited to keep the alumni and the donors excited. We saw it with Matt Brown at Texas. Now we've seen it with Gary Patterson at TCU. Uh, yeah, hats off for an incredible career at a, at a school that, I mean, we got to remember what TCU was in 1998. Yeah. You know, it, it was, you know, he, he's won conference championships in three different conferences from the Mountain West, Conference USA, uh, and in the Big 12. So to be able to do that, to be able to adjust, you know, in those different conferences, like to climb up and to never get left behind. Uh, is admirable and he's one of the better coaches of, of our lifetimes for sure in the state
0: yeah i think that one of the things that i loved about him his trajectory and his career is that and again it par- plays in part of why he it, it's kind of been written on the wall that this was kind of it was the fact that he never had a back-to-back losing season right like he always at a place where you probably should it's sh- you think about what TCU is in retrospect to college football and on paper you're like oh yeah that's a school that probably should that probably m- should have a three or four year skid as they rebuild and try to retool especially after those Rose Bowl years when they were competing with Baylor for the Big 12 championships like you look at that and you're like oh that's a team that probably has you know a string of four five wins here and there and just because of natural rebuilding you're not texas right you're not reloading everything um he never did that and it was his own standard you mentioned how time ta- you know time catches up to everybody it was his own standard and his own uh, uh uh um profile that kind of was his own downfall because it was like okay you're not turning this around right we were seeing the little downslope and Especially, especially defensively, um, you know that that's that's kind of been the, uh, the his 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 unfortunate downfall now. But you mentioned him being adaptable, and I do want to hint a little bit more on that because we met. You know, this is a defensive coach at heart, and we mentioned the 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 team that won the Rose Bowl with Andy Dalton and those guys. Um, I forget who they beat. I think it was uh, Wisconsin in that Rose Bowl. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so. That team was, was a lot of fun, but it was very much a early 2000s offense, right? It was very much a drop back behind center, some shotgun, some spread stuff, but it, the spread really hadn't permeated, and TC wasn't in the Big 12 at that time, so that, they, they didn't really impact uh, that kind of uh, – they didn't have that conference dynamic going on. And then they get into the Big 12, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was a punchline for a while, but all of a sudden they became – one of the best offenses in the country. And with them, with Baylor, uh, with Tech at the time, they were just throwing up points all of a sudden, flip the switch. And yeah, I don't know, like for, for a defensive guy to embrace kind of where college football was going at the time and kind of seeing where TCU had to kind of find its advantages in in, in a Power Five conference, I mean, just another, another, t- uh, um, another notch on his belt, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I've always been the opinion that head football coaches are you're not, you're not going to find a group of people with more ego. Sure. Right. Like it's it's about as high ego as you can get, because, you know, in order to achieve those kind of heights, you just have to have that kind of self-belief and self-confidence. And what always impressed me about Gary Patterson is he knew the defensive side of the ball was his and he was always open to kind of letting offensive coordinators or letting new ideas and thoughts kind of bleed into that side of the ball. And you don't see that everywhere. You sure. know, you see guys kind of get stuck in the mud a lot and he wasn't like that. He was okay with trying out new things or adapting or becoming more modern. And I think that's why he was able to stick around for as long as he was.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do want to point people to, uh sam Khan did a great story on a great column on gary patterson uh, he put it up on the athletic right now i was reading through it and one of my favorite quotes is because of course he did have the statue unveiled in 2016 and uh gary patterson said people might say well you've got a statue you're accomplished and he said to me it's just made my job harder now i have to live up to the statue and that was literally it you know he had he his his legacy was cemented nothing was gonna nothing was gonna change as far as that's concerned but he had his own standard, to his own legacy to live up to. And, you know, now we can get into a little bit of why now, right? And all I had to do really was look at the recruiting rankings. On the field speaks for what it is, right? They're bad defensively. That's supposed to be his side of the ball, his, the, the constant. In recruiting, and TC was never a powerhouse recruiter. That was, one of, that was the other thing that kind of made gary patterson and his tenure so interesting was that he was able to find diamonds in the rough but outside of i'd say 2020 they were starting to slip in the rankings and you started to see and you started to see less of that diamond in the rough developing you saw some guys come out of there we just we we mentioned the the secondary last year they had they were insane um you'll get a random guy like a, 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 Zach, a Zach Evans coming through, obviously falling in their lap. I know he boosted the 2020 um, recruiting rankings uh, a bit. But, you know, you do kind of start to see the little cracks in what was happening. And with the Big 12 now turning a new leaf and going into this new era of realignment, TCU cannot afford to fall back. They have to stay as one of the big fish in this now relatively medium-sized pond.
1: Yeah, I mean, we all look at DFW and go, "Oh, how easy is it to recruit there?" And and it is in a way, but it's also hard because of the amount of competition. Like right? mm-hmm. you're you're recruiting against Oklahoma, you're recruiting against Texas. When A and M joined the SEC, now all of a sudden Alabama, LSU, and uh, Georgia and stuff are all of a sudden recruiting DFW with a lot of success. It's not a coincidence that. A&M's moved, to SEC, uh, A&M's moved to the SEC, kind of allowed all those kind of out-of-state powers in. Mm-hmm. And now you're starting to see a lot of those guys that maybe would have ended up in Texas or Oklahoma and, and passed are now going to Alabama, Georgia. And that's a trickle-down effect. Then Texas and OU are going to get their guys. And then we're seeing the rise of SMU, which has been taking some, some dudes from DFW that probably would have been, you know, Horn frogs in previous generations. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of, a lot has conspired against him to make the Dallas-Fort Worth area harder and harder to rec- recruit than it was, you know, in 2003, 2004, when he was really starting to put together uh, better teams and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is he was at one time recruiting uniquely, right? Mm-hmm. He was looking for a different type of player than a lot of the colleges are. As we talked about earlier, the four two five, the nickel has become – pretty much a base defense for everybody. So everyone is recruiting those hybrid type players. And yeah. so it's harder and harder to slip through the cracks because of that. And because of 24 seven rivals and all the other attention that's to recruiting, there's less and less of those diamonds in the roughs these days.
0: Yep, exactly. So I don't think it was a, a shock that, you know, 31 12 against at, at, at Kansas state bad loss, with a tough part of your schedule still coming, I mean, a, a tough part of your schedule, not the toughest, um, but really only Kansas left is a game you're going to be favored in, so you're probably not looking at a bowl unless you pull off something against Iowa State, which isn't unlike, oh, you need to pull one off against Baylor and Oklahoma State as well, so it's not you know entirely likely that they're going bowling this year. But, you know, it did kind of feel like it was inevitable, and so that's why it didn't really surprise me. I think if they win this game, he probably... Hangs on the year because there's are still, bull, you know, bowl eligibility is still there, and if, actually, pr- eh, pretty, you're pretty, you're pretty solid if you win that game to go to a bowl. So yeah, they th- I think they would have definitely held on for the year. But yeah, now you know, it did. It, it wasn't too shocking to see the news drop. I think the only shocking part of it, I don't know. Looking at everything, it doesn't surprise me that the news dropped, but then it does, right? Because it's it was it's one of those like. You had to see it to believe it type of things where you're like, oh, actually happened, huh? Well, I mean, the news had
1: to drop as soon as he declined to finish the season. Right. True. Like, I I don't think that news really drops if Gary Patterson signs up for the rest of the year. If, right. if the conversation behind the scenes is, hey, Gary, after this year, we're going to have to move on. Um, you mind coaching for the rest of the year? And he's like, yep. I think it maybe leaks out, you know, the last week or two of the season, not right now. Sure. Um, the fact that he quit and just wanted to kind of just go away and not have to deal with this kind of stuff in the public eye uh, made it to where, I mean, it had to come out. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think it kind of forced TCU's hand in a way.
0: Yep. So let's look at it. Let's look at some candidates right now, and we'll, we can talk about a little bit about what uh, TCU, the job TCU looks like. Because we... You know, we talked about Texas Tech and that positioning and those candidates. You're going to see some of the same names attached with this job as well. But I'm sorry, Tech fans, TCU is a better job. <laughs> um, they have more money. They have the private school thing. The one question I do have when it comes to money is that are they willing to pay Gary Patterson money, or was Garrett, was that a legacy thing? Right, because Gary Patterson was roughly a top 10 paid coach in the country. Are they willing to go to that length again, in hopes of nabbing? A Gary Patterson, type that's there for 15 20 years, or is this something where it's like, eh, we're gonna give you probably a two million less? Maybe I don't know. Um, again, it's private school stuff, so it's it's there's probably a bunch of other uh incentives that they could attach to it, but I do know in t- uh, I didn't see any others, any recent articles, but in, in 2017, he signed the extension and he was about at five base, um, and that put him about ninth in the country at the time. Um, I do think it's obviously gone up and he's still, I believe around that top 15 or top 10, top 15 ish range. Um, now
1: money shouldn't be an option. You know, oh, yeah, they've no, built yeah. two stadiums on private donations and gifts and stuff like that. So there's, mm-hmm. there's money at TCU. If they can find a guy, they're willing to spend it on.
0: Yep. hundred percent. So let's get into it. Um, I mean, we mentioned the two names that will be attached to this, that, that are already getting attached to this, that were attached quickly to Texas tech. Um, I think Sonny Dykes and Jeff Trailer should be getting a call. We'll see. Uh, the thing to me, it, it's in t- this one's in TCU's court more so than the, the tech uh, situation was in the coaches court. If TCU wants to get Jeff Trailer, they could throw money. I know he just signed an extension, but th- that $7 million buyout is a lot more favorable to TCU than, t- than it is for tech. Tech's not going to pay that. TCU might pay that. I'm not saying they will. That's more favorable for them. I think I'm also curious because uh, I feel like Gary Patterson's staying on in some capacity, probably in some behind the scenes role. else there, there I think somebody put on Twitter that there's not he's not ruling out coaching again, so I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Um but I do feel that that extension for Jeff Trailer takes him out of the tech running but kind of lingers in TCU. That's a lot of money for a buyout, but I will say that that, like you mentioned, the private donations, all that kind of stuff. TCU has the money to make that happen if they really want it.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it would cost them about twelve million dollars because mm-hmm. they're going to have to pay the seven and a half million dollar buyout, and then Jeff's making two point eight now annually at, tech, at UTSA probably without bonuses, that. so he'd probably at least need four, yeah. you know, four and a half um, to get hired away from there. So now we're at about twelve million dollars. So yeah, they just needed they need if if Jeff Trailer is their guy they can money with that and go get him. I agree I agree with you there in a lot easier fashion than Texas Tech could for example. If they're not 100% sold on Jeff Trailer, there are cheaper options out there and it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of how one track minded they are. If mm-hmm. if, if Trailer's the dude, I think that that becomes, you know, a, a thing that happens. If if they go on an extended coaching search, I think that means that UTSA is is pretty safe with Jeff Trailer in this offseason. At least at least when it comes to tech and TCU, sure. To me, the interesting name is Sonny Dykes. Yeah, you know, we talked about him with the Texas Tech job and the family legacy, and you know, maybe that kind of works against Texas Tech in a way, right? Like you don't want to go follow in your dad's footsteps, right? We're all, you know, as sons, we're all trying to step outside of that shadow and stuff. So maybe he doesn't want that uh, pressure in uh, Lubbock. But, I mean, he can move 30, 45 minutes, depending on traffic, over to the Fort Worth area, repaint those billboards purple and just keep doing what he's doing in the DFW area. And So,
0: yeah.
1: uh, to me, does he want to be in the Big 12? Is mm. is the Big 12 a step up for him money-wise? It, I'd imagine it would be a step up from TCU to SMU. So it just comes down to you know, where Sonny Dykes thinks he can end up. Is TCU one of those high up-end jobs where – you know, this is something too good to pass up. Now, do you stay at SMU and kind of see where the chips lay? I think his name uh, is one that intrigues me just because he's already in that area. Yeah, and it would it, just, it would just be weird, right? Like, you know, <laughs> SMU and TCU play like a month and a half ago. It would just that would just be a very interesting thing to kind of hire across town. Um, all I know is that the happiest person right now in the state is Sonny Dykes' agent.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, he's about to get it. With the
1: Texas Tech and the TCU thing, yep. I mean, you can go to SMU and basically you know, hold them up for ransom if you want to. And so, um, yeah, I think those two names are definitely at the top of the list, and it just comes down to if those guys say no and or if TCU goes, that's a little bit too much money for us. We want to go in a different direction then it becomes really interesting because I don't know who the obvious third choice would be. And this is an administration and a fan base that hadn't really dealt with this since 1998 when Francione was hired because they they got Patterson from in-house. So who knows how TCU is going to go about this coaching search, what they're looking for, what they're not looking for, what's important to them. And so uh, I think we're all going to kind of learn that together because we just don't have a lot of information on how TCU handles this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those rare situations where, you know, it's not like he was expecting to leave, so there's no like number two. Right. When Patterson when when Patterson took over, he was clearly Francioni's number two. And the other thing I wanna the the other thing that's interesting about those two top candidates is that obviously when, when when any team hires a coach, they're not anticipating them leaving, right? And then getting another job or them firing them or getting, you know, wherever, plucked off. But I think what's interesting about both Jeff Trail and Sonny Dykes is those are the type of coaches that I think right now that are more available that would not leave for one of the Power Eight probably jobs in the nation, right? Like, especially with NM being locked up with Jimbo Fisher. But I don't see maybe Jeff Trailer, but like I don't see a Sonny Dykes leaving for Texas, right? And like that's what TCU would love most is having a coach similar to Gary Patterson who would never leave, who would have never left for those Power jobs, and that would just sit there and dominate and. I think that those two coaches are the most readily available are the ones that would probably do that. Now, I think there's one other coach out there, and we can talk about this in a bit, that is maybe of that ilk, somebody who would love to kind of entrench their feet in a a hotbed like DFW and just kind of have a kingdom there, um, as opposed to chasing an LSU or a Texas or things like that. Um, It's not like if, like I said, if if Tom Herman got hired at TCU a couple years ago, right, he was obviously probably going to get plucked off to Texas. Um, or tried to pluck off it, pluck off to Texas at least. The, the, those two guys are different personalities in that way, right? They're not careerists in that aspect. And so I'm curious if TCU looks at it trying to hire a Gary Patterson type figure of somebody who isn't that type of uh, that type of personality. The guy I do want to mention now is I think somebody that is made of that mold, and you mentioned it in your article for five head coaching targets. Joey Maguire, Baylor. Um, Now, there is something to be said about selling TCU fans and boosters on hiring the tight ends coach slash associate head coach of Baylor. (laughs) But I think that is somebody who is absolutely tied into the area, tied in across the state, obviously, and would would bring a certain life. To that program, and I'm not saying the program was dead or anything, because Gary Patterson obviously did not. It didn't ever cratered under Gary Patterson, but I think he would bring a certain energy and and, and enthusiasm to the program that I don't want to say was gone, but you know Gary Patterson was there for a while, and he's a very prickly personality. Mm-hmm. Joey is the complete opposite of that. If that is the direction they go, I think that could be a home run as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to reestablish recruiting dominance in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, look no further than Joey McGuire, right? I mean, and by like, the way, he's outside line. There is not many was, uh, people more universally beloved in high school football than Joey McGuire. One of the only ones I can think of is Jeff Traylor, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, and to me, the argument for Joey McGuire is, is this. The two best coaches in this state right now are Jeff Traylor at UTSA and Dave Aranda at Baylor. Yep. The, neither one of them had head ho- coaching experience before they got hired at their school right now. Sure. Um, I'm not a big splash hire guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I, go make the right hire, not the big hire. I don't really care about the headlines. I, I want a dude who can coach. Joey McGuire can obviously coach at any level. He's done it in at, at high school and college. We've seen Baylor have a lot of success. And like we talked about, recruiting would, would kill itself, right? I mean, recruiting would take off. The TCU in 2022 or 2023, whichever class he kind of had a full you know, print on, would be the best class signed by the Hornfrogs Frogs in a long time. like mm-hmm. Guaranteed. And so I, you know maybe within the fan base, the alumni base, you know, nationally, it wouldn't cause a lot of waves or build a lot of excitement. But the people that would be excited are the players in the locker room and the high school coaches in the area and the high school players in the area, uh, you know, you'd have Cedar Hill, DeSoto, Duncanville, you'd have that area on lock. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think there's a lot of pluses uh, for him, but it takes more guts in my opinion, as an admin to hire a guy like Joey McGuire than it would to hire a Sonny Dykes. Yeah or even a Bill Napier or something like that, right? Like those are easy hires to make because who's going to blame you? Hey, I hired Sonny Dykes. Everybody wanted Sonny Dykes. Like, right. you know, what, what are you going to do? It didn't work out. But you go hire a Joey McGuire, and then you're on the hook there, right? There's some pressure that comes with, with hiring that. But, yeah, if it's my money, if it's my decision, and Sonny Dykes, Jeff Trailer tell me no, or that seems like too much money to whip up that you don't want to deal with, Joey McGuire would be right there on like two or three uh, people list to call. I have an interesting name for you that is also on that staff: Jeff Grimes. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: I mean, football is offensive, right? I yes. I think the dumbest thing. I think I think you should eliminate every defensive coach that is on your list if you're TCU. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I mean that. Like, if you look at the NFL, you look in college. The coaches who are the best. If we take away like a, a freak show like Nick Saban or something like that. It's. It, this is football. Is offensive now. Like I'm not breaking any news to anybody listening. Like this is an offensive game. If you look at the 16 worst NFL offenses, right? There's only one of those teams that has a winning record, and that's Pittsburgh because they have an excellent coach. Right. But you, you just you're not winning football games at any level without offensive dominance. I would get rid of any anybody on my list that was a defensive coach, and I would go strictly for you know, the offensive mastermind type system guy. And Jeff Grimes at BYU and now at Baylor has proven uh, to be a great offensive coordinator and one who can quickly turn around a group. That Baylor offense was not good last year. And all, you know, without any real additions to that roster, the Baylor offense now is the best in the Big 12. And so, again, I don't know if that's a splash higher that you can get your alumni base, you know, excited about. Uh, but I think it would bring immediate results and it would be somebody who would take the job, would be excited about the job. And like you mentioned earlier, could be a guy who stays around
0: for 10 to 15, 20 years. Yeah. I think one other name that uh, a couple of the names that I do want to mention, uh, one of them was from, I'm trying to figure, Bruce Feldman had to put out his um, article. I'm curious, you mentioned, oh, there's two names from his article. Actually I do want to mention. So one of them, you mentioned throwing out the <laughs> the defensive names I do wonder if Mike Elko does get a call regardless because of the fact that I don't know if they want to continue that trajectory, right, where it's like let's bring in a defensive guy who maybe hopefully like Dave, uh, Dave Aranda is somebody who's able to uh, expand his offensive, uh, what you would think of a defensive coach's offensive philosophy, right? Somebody who's acknowledges that they need to move the ball, so he goes and hires Progressive uh, guys to take over that side of the field because of how a M's defense has been. Um, I'm curious if he just gets a call anyway. But the other one that came up on uh, Feldman's list was Jamie Chadwell. Now, Thou- mm-hmm. now when you talk about when you talk about uh, offensive coaches, hot names, hot systems. Obviously, Jamie Chadwell should be on that list. They're basically running the uh, a modern version of like the rich old rich rod spread option out of the shotgun. Now there's obvious questions about that. He's been a South Carolina lifer basically. Right. So there's obvious ties that need to come in uh, to, to the recruiting base in Texas, which uh, Jeff Grimes gives you because obviously he was at Baylor. He's at Baylor now, but he coached at AM, He coached at Rice as a GA, things like that. He's been in Texas. He's recruited Texas. Um, Jamie Chattel was, like I said, was a name, uh, an interesting name, but, One name that is also getting thrown around a little bit is Justin Fuente, current head coach at Virginia Tech. Not the best marriage going on there right now. He had a a 10-win season and a 9-win season in his first two years. But since then, 6 wins, 8 wins, 5 wins, 4 wins. Now, that might say, well, why would you hire him then? I would argue Sonny Dykes was in that same situation at Cal. Justin Fuente, of course, was the offensive coordinator of, and laid a lot of the foundation for what we eventually saw of that TCU offense that ended up lighting it up, right? I wonder if there is some type of handshake, mutual parting of the ways between Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente, and that that makes TCU a little bit interested in bringing him back. Um, and you're going
1: to, you'll get the Gary Patterson vouch too.
0: You'll hundred percent get the Gary Patterson vouch. You'll probably help. You'd probably help with the fan base. Who's probably been frustrated at times with some of the direction of the, of the offense um, at times and some of the play calling. Cause Justin Fuente obviously is a lot more aggressive of a play caller and he's recruited Texas decently, surprisingly at Virginia tech. I remember when Demetrius Davis was actually committed there for a while, for a good while um, before going to Auburn. And so again, it wouldn't be the most exciting hire, but I I don't I think if anything, this tenure is proving that Justin Fuente kind of needs the South as opposed to him being a bad head coach. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think Sonny Dykes didn't work out in out west. I think he needed to get back south. I think Justin Fuente could be in that same mold. And you probably wouldn't have a big buyout because Virginia Tech probably would just try to pay it some of that themselves to you know probably a split halfsies, right? Just try to get out from under the contract and Fuente would leave too. So it'd be a kind of a benefit for both sides. I don't know if that's, if that's one of their options, I would not be opposed to that as well.
1: Yeah. He'd be my third call to be mm-hmm. honest with you. You know, I, I, I'd call trailer Dykes and then Fuente, you know, that, that would be, that would be my list of top three candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how inspired that would be. Again, you know, once we get past the top two, it feels like the names we're mentioning, You know, it's like, would that inspire the fan base? Would Mm -hmm. that get the Mm -hmm. alumni excited? Well, you know what does that is winning, right? And so you just hire a guy who fits the program, who fits what you're trying to do. Like you said, who will stick around for a little while and not just ladder climb and use it as a stepping stone job. Because, you know, TCU with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 and then being in the fifth largest market in the country – and it's private where you can get a lot of back end money, you know, that's not on the books. It's a great job. Like it, it can be a really, really good job. And so they just need to hire somebody who they think will stick around and build that. I I think Fuente could be a guy who would do that. He's already had success there. He knows how to recruit in that area. He definitely knows how to recruit in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that would be another good hire. He's an offensive guy. I, I think that would be a, that would be a smart one. And then, Another name I wanted to throw at you, mm-hmm. uh, Kellen Moore.
0: Hmm,
1: interesting, right? Okay, you know, like maybe he's maybe he's an NFL head coach guy, right? Maybe yeah. he, but I, I mean, he's already in Dallas. I, I, you know, what's what's wrong with calling him and seeing if he wants to be a head coach at the college football level? I mean, he's clearly an. Because here's my theory about if you're a defensive coach, like Dave Aranda is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. Year one was bad. Sure because you're, you're dependent on always hiring the next big offensive guy. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that person uh, has one of those years, like Jeff Graham's going to be gone after this year or next year, head coaching somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and you're not Alabama. You're not Nick Saban where you can just like, keep bringing in you know, Lane Kiffin, then Sarkeesian, then Bill O'Brien. You know, like, you're going to run out of luck there. But if your head coach is the offensive guy, you don't have to worry about that turnover. You can find defensive coordinators that are elite easier than you can find offensive coordinators that are elite. So I would hire whoever I want as my offensive coordinator, and that's why names like Kellen Moore, Jeff Grimes, to me become intriguing if we get past Dykes, Trailer, Fuente, and some of those you know guys with head coaching experience.
0: Mm-hmm. And I but think-
1: I do like I do like the Chadwell. I don't know if you could get him out of. You know, the Carolinas. He sure, seems yeah. like a lifer in a way that, like Jeff Trailer, seems like a Texas lifer, right? Right. Uh, yeah. But I
0: was, I was looking at his. I was looking at his resume, and I was like, "Oh, is he really?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, no." Charleston Southern, uh, Coastal. He went to. I was trying to think. He went to East Tennessee State, but like it's it's literally just Charleston Southern, North Greenville. Like it's like oh these are all just staying in the area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, and and then, yeah, and then also. You know, another the
1: other reason I think you should go offensive guy is it goes back to my theory of, of coaching replacements, right? You mm-hmm. tend to go with the opposite of what you just had.
0: Yeah, And
1: yeah. I think to to inject some enthusiasm, you go and you get an offensive guy who can come in and really make that offense fun, you make that offense recruitable, and you can figure out the defensive side a little bit easier, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. And I think most of all, uh, lastly, before, uh, is because Gary Patterson left now – there's clearly talent on that field and there's talent in that locker room. He didn't again. Recruiting didn't crater. Roster development didn't crater. It's just there's some there are some holes, especially on that defense. But they're again they're just a year out from having a very good defense. It's it's fixable. Nobody's walking into a terrible situation. And so I, that's why I do think it is a very attractable job. He, awesome recruiting location. Awesome resources. Incredible booster base. Incredible talent base. I still think they have a very talented roster. Their offense is legitimately elite as far as uh, just high upside. So there's, it's going to be an attractive job. They sh- this is going to be TCU's call. They're not going to get many coaches that say no to me. It's going to be if TCU has their guy and they get the money, they're going to have their number one option. I really genuinely believe that. Now it's just a matter of if that's Jeff Traylor, Sonny Dykes, or somebody else. It just, it, to me, it just literally matters who that is, right? With Tech... With other jobs, there's some, there's some hesitancy, right, when, you, when it comes to, I don't know if I'm going to take that, I don't know if I'm going to take that. There's other question marks around where the program's headed, the recent history, things like That's not the problem at TCU. And so whoever their first target is, I do think they're going to get him. I'm just curious about who, what, what direction that is and who that is. So, Yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I think Texas Tech, unfortunately, is now in a holding pattern. They're sure. going to have to wait to see who takes the TCU job before they can really react to that. You know, TCU moves up in the batting order. They're, they're number one in the state right now in terms of vacancies Mm -hmm. and Texas tech is now at two to where if say you were working with Jeff trailer, you met, you know, behind the scenes, you kind of, you, you were starting those initial discussions with Dykes trailer. Well, now you're going to have to wait to see if those, those guys take a TCU job before you can finalize anything. And so I do think the, uh, the team who benefits the least from TCU opening their job is Texas tech. And maybe that's why some of this news came out. We talked maybe earlier about like why, why it came out. I think some of it probably does have to do with Texas tech is already open. Let's be open as well. So they don't go hire a guy that maybe we want a month or two
0: later. Sure. All righty. Well, that'll do it for this second emergency episode. I hope nobody else loses their job in the middle of the season because, you know, we can't keep doing, we can't keep making this a regular thing. Uh, But, We'll be back Wednesday to preview all the games this weekend. Mike Craven, thank you so much.
1: Yes, sir.